0: You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about, actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of a new book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property Even Though You're Scared Shitless.
1: And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy
0: a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au In this episode, we're answering some
1: of your questions. We'll be covering a whole bunch of things that affect capital growth, such as whether new townhouses will outperform old townhouses in the same suburb. We'll also discuss different types of land title and their impact on resale. And we're going to talk about rent vesting in Tasmania and all the things that have to be in place in order to be cash flow positive.
0: We'll also talk about the questions you need to ask your building and pest inspector and the styling tricks that property buyers need to be on the lookout for. And thank you so much for sending in your questions and feedback. We'll tackle more of your questions in future episodes. And we'll also look for guests who can share specific knowledge when we have more complex problems thrown at us. Keep them coming. Now, you can contact us via the website. So that's theelephantintheroom.com.au or on Facebook, as two of these questioners have done. And remember to stick around for this week's Dumbo as we have a doozy for you.
1: Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is generally nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. So our
0: first question is from Antti. What's your view on capital appreciation for two of the same properties, townhouses, in the same area within 10 kilometres of capital city? However, one is new and the other one is, say, 15 years old. Will they grow at the same rate, all other things being equal? What do you reckon, Chris?
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a, there's so many elements to this question. I mean, the townhouses, the land content, in them can, could be could be completely different. The floor plan, etc. So just because they're two townhouses doesn't mean they're equal from the get go in terms of their land content. The street they're on could be completely different. Um, one could be north facing, one could be south facing. Different
0: um, size complexes.
1: Yeah, I mean that's right. You could be um, one could be a three bed with a study. You know, I guess it's kind of, you know, it's it's very hard to kind of, you know, I guess say that everything's going to grow equal because fundamentally they're two different properties.
0: Well, I think, too, older townhouses are actually often quite smaller, a lot smaller than newer townhouses. Mm. You know, I know often there's you hear that apartments are shrinking. You know, a two-bedroom apartment now is smaller than it might have been, say, 40, 50 years ago not always the case, by the way, but anyway. Um, But that's sort of a belief that a lot of people have, whereas a lot of townhouses I see in the older style ones are quite a lot smaller than in the newer ones. Um, So, you know, once again, you're going to have more size. But the other thing that is interesting that if you're buying brand new, then there is always that sort of the, the new car showroom type factor, which means there's a period of time where your property might actually decrease in value mm. or or stagnate for a bit while the market sort of catches up and absorbs that premium that you've paid for that property. So if they were two exactly the same, you know, in terms of size and aspect and all things being equal, it's just that they're 15 years difference, I would think you probably do better out of the older one. But if the newer one is significantly better than you know the actual caliber of the asset itself then you could potentially do better with a new one
1: yeah I mean I guess it's the the really thing that goes up is the land content over the longer term so I guess it's probably figuring out how much land is you actually own there as a you know in terms of the townhouse because you know if it is a smaller block and it's only 120 or something like that then yes it's a nicer house but is the land going to grow as, as fast
0: yeah but that's a that's an interesting thing and I, I look I know you know, I know it's it's true, land goes up in value more than the building because the building depreciates and I know that that is true. However, if you've got, um, you know, you could have two houses, let's forget townhouses for a minute, you could have two houses on exactly the same size land in the, in the same suburb and one will go up more than the other if it has, it, it's a, a nicer style of home, it's a period home versus a, you know, a bog standard modern home, for instance, in certain suburbs, or if it's positioned in the block in a way that means that you feel like the land is bigger versus it's positioned in the middle Mm. of the block where there's a lot of wasted space or if the actual floor plan is better in one than the other or the aspect is better in one than the other. So you can actually have two assets that might even cost the same amount of money on one day Mm. on the same block of land in the same suburb, but one will go up better, go up more than the other one because of the actual building on it. So the improvement on that land. So whilst we sort of say, well, that, you know, the land is what goes up, it's not as simple as that.
1: No, no, no. And I guess I'm probably throwing all new townhouses in the camp that they're not that well built, you know. I would guess if you're buying a... um summer. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I guess if you're buying a really nice new townhouse that was built by, you know, a real reputable builder and it's built in a premium suburb and it's all sustainably built and it's, you know, very high end, then, yes, maybe it's an amazing townhouse. But the problem with a lot of new townhouses is they're built in areas where they're building a lot more townhouses. And mm. so I guess if you buy a new townhouse in that area, you've well, got you gotta to be remember, worried.
0: You've got to remember the question was within 10Ks of the CBD. Well,
1: there's probably still pockets, you know, think about down the South Sydney, you know, Towards like kind of the airport, they're building kind of that's lots That's
0: outside of- 10Ks. Is it? Yep. <laughs> the caveat on this one is within. But I think what you're saying is absolutely right. I mean, if you're going into an area where there's a, there's o- ongoing supply, that's obviously going to be an issue, you know. That's- so let's say we well, it
1: that's going to be an issue
0: for all townhouses though, not just new and, you know what I mean? Like that's just going to be generally an issue.
1: Yeah, and I guess in Melbourne though, in the in a, in a 10K ring, there's without doubt there's areas where they're building lots of new townhouses. Yeah, yeah, into the north of kind of Melbourne. Like there's um, definitely pockets where there's streets and streets mm. of just kind of new kind of cookie-cutter townhouses. So I guess you just got to, you know, if you are buying a townhouse, you want to be buying them generally where they're not building a lot more of them. Or if yeah. they are, they're very high quality. So mm. You know, you just protect yourself from that supply risk. But I mean, just generally, I guess we we are more of a fan of probably buying the older stuff, probably from the, the content, unless it's an amazing new build. That's probably how I would attack it.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the the final word on that question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, next question over to you, Chris.
1: So Shannon has sent us three questions, and um, a bit cheeky, it could be my <laughs> best, one of my my best mate. But anyway. Uh, no. I actually haven't thanks if it is you shannon thanks mate um, but anyway there's um yeah you know, his, his three questions were staging and styling including tricks that to be aware of that make the space look beautiful but might not actually be functional
0: I think that buyers tend to um, gloss over and forget that properties are all dressed well not all but are often dressed for sale mm. and quite often there's some really good opportunities in properties that aren't dressed for sale because people are just sort of bypassing them and going for ones that are a little bit more attractive and there's a good reason why the styling industry is you know has been fairly prolific in the last say 20 years Because we don't like to think too hard, you Mm. know. We like to go on a property and have it sort of presented to us on a silver platter. So there are definitely tricks, though. There are definitely tricks. Painting is one. Mm. You know, a freshly painted house can cover off a multitude of sins. In fact, just recently I looked inside a house actually owned by a friend of mine. Now this house has a lot of damp, Mm. has had a lot of damp. She's actually dealt with that damp and fixed all the problems. She rented it out some years ago and got it freshly painted to rent it out mm. and at the same time sort of fixed the roof and, and attended to all that damp stuff. Now, interestingly enough, I was shocked actually, and I'm amazed actually the tenant never actually complained about this, but in the kitchen there's practically an entire wall where the paint has just been lifted just off in sheets. Mm. And so... You know, when that tenant first moved in, it did not look like that. It looked like a beautifully freshly painted wall. And so you could buy a property that mm. even even if the repairs have been done but the damp hasn't been allowed to take, you know, to come out of the wall, the mm. brick, whatever, and it's been freshly painted. So paint can hide a multitude mm. of sins. That's, that's one absolute no-brainer. Another one is... Um, <laughs> This is one that a stylist showed me. If a bedroom's a little bit small, they take the feet off the beds. So the bed sits closer to the floor and optically it actually looks bigger. There's a trick.
1: I like that. I mean, they they don't sometimes put side tables with the bed too, do they? Or they'll use a plant. That's. Makes yeah, it feel yeah. like it's a bit bigger. Well, they've got
0: some tiny little thing there that you just sort of go, oh, yes, yeah, side table tick, but you don't sort of think, oh, it's tiny. I can't fit one with a drawer.
1: Yeah, you can see the bed and you're like, oh, okay, so this is a bedroom and mm. you kind of keep going. I mean, wardrobes is probably another one though, you know, if it hasn't got built-ins.
0: Yeah. Sometimes
1: people don't think, is there actually a wardrobe here?
0: Do you know, on that bed thing, when we were filming once down in Melbourne... <laughs> talking about styling, um, I was having that conversation about the beds and about in the small rooms and I wonder if there's got feet on that bed and mm. as, as as the contributors for the show actually went to have a look and see where there was feet on that bed, mm. they've lifted up the corner of the, the bedspread and not only were there no feet <laughs> And there was actually no bed. The bed was made out of cardboard boxes.
1: Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> Imagine if somebody sat on it.
1: Well, that's it. You know much to sit in these things, is it? I, know, I do find it funny when you're checking these houses out and you kind of walk around, no one even sits on the furniture or gets an experience or anything like that. Everything's like so perfectly crafted. Uh, you're meant to be living in these homes, so you want to kind of sometimes sit down and just experience it. Yeah.
0: Look, you know, I think what is important is that the sty- a good stylist will make that Space seem functional, and there mm. won't be anywhere near as much furniture in it as there would be if you lived in it. Yeah, and I exactly. think that that's the other that's thing the that people thing. got to really think through. It's like, um, you know, because doing a pre settlement inspection with somebody, and you know, obviously this doesn't happen for my clients because we take them through all of this. But back mm. when I was a sales agent, you do a pre settlement inspection with somebody who bought a property six weeks earlier at auction and been beautifully styled, and they fall in love with the fini- you know the way it's furnished and everything. <laughs> and empty houses are pretty miserable, mm. pretty miserable looking, they dismal, and so you know, buyer walking through is like, oh god, yeah, this is what I actually bought. And I think mm. that, that is something that all buyers need to be very, very, you know, remind themselves that when you're walking through a home, those furnishings, okay, the window coverings stay, the light fittings will stay unless there's a note in the mm. in the contract. Floor coverings, as long as they're fixed, will stay. But there's nearly everything else goes.
1: And so how do you kind of help clients really visualise that? Because, you know, it's easy to kind of say, oh, imagine there's no furniture here, mm. but you're still seeing the furniture. So how do you actually help clients really get that really stuck in their mind that it's not going to look like this when you buy it.
0: Yeah, look, I mean if, if we think it's going to be an absolute issue because they're glossing over things that mm. we can definitely say, sometimes we just keep taking them back to the property until they actually it dawns on them because, you know, buying property is an emotional process, you know, and yep. we, we go through homes and we they start picturing us living there and this sort of lifestyle yep. thing and, um, you know, the odd person is very practical you know, and though, but that that is a minority. Mm. I, I do think uh, back in the day, and and when I say back in the day, before it was routinely done that every property was styled, then you know buyers were used to looking at empty properties. They were used to to sort of being a bit more critical about properties potentially, um, or actually looking or using their imagination. Whereas nowadays, just they're, they're the exception to the rule—the ones that aren't styled.
1: What about the photography um tips? Because you know, you look online, looks like big rooms, looks like it's so light. Um, you know, I think you when you go to a real estate agent now and you're marketing a property, they can say, Do you want us to electronically style it? So not actually use style furniture. We will, you know, pay $150 a room and we will put in fake furniture on well, the Well, they do pin- that for rentals.
0: Yeah. Because it's it's even not- sales. Well, yeah, but the thing is with rentals, it's not cost effective to actually furnish, style the property to rent, mm. right? There's no real money in it. Whereas when you're selling a property, the potential upside of styling and investing a few thousand dollars to do that is definitely there. So mm. there's a real purpose for doing your return on investment Is is potentially there. So if you're only going to use electronic furniture in a, or virtual furniture in a sales campaign, well, that's a bit stupid really, because when people are going to go inspect the property and then you've lost all the, I mean, yeah, you've got them in the door, but there's still, what's there is going to speak out volumes. It's like, mm. you know, when they use those, those fisheye lenses, I mean, the room look enormous. That's I mean, right. the minute you get there, you go, yep, yeah, that's, it's. It is small. And so there are certain things that the photography, yes, it'll get you in the door, but if it sets the expectations too high, you can actually lose buyers because mm. of that. Um, but I'll tell you where the big danger is, buying sight unseen.
1: Mm. Well, people do it. It's not It's not unheard of. I'm sure we've all got friends or family that have done that. I know my mother did that, but anyway. Did she? Yes. <laughs> but we won't bring her into the property done section. Sorry, Mum.
0: Um, How long ago? <laughs>
1: Shannon's second question here is around land titles and how this affects lending and resale.
0: Yeah, so he's, uh, he's, lim- he's um, noted limited qualified Torrens Strata. There's also company and community titles. So let's just run through some of those things. So, okay, so if you buy a house, it's Torrens title, right, with a couple of little exceptions, right? So Torrens title means that you own, you know, it, you know the, that land and everything on it basically, Right, you oh. don't own too much beneath the land because if the government finds that you've got oil, it's oh. theirs. There's a caveat, and every contract says basically that. But anyway, so you own you own the land, you own what's on it. So that's Torrens title, right? So so in older areas, say in Sydney and in the Inner West or the Eastern suburbs, and maybe bits of the Lower North Shore, where they've been they've had properties that were built into the Victorian, you know, back in the eighteen hundreds, basically. There are two types of titles. that's either limited or qualified. Now, one of them refers to they need to, and I should have probably got a lawyer to give me the definitions of this, but basically what they mean is that they haven't sort of been brought up to date. One of them basically needs a new survey to just be 100% certain uh, yep. that you're actually getting, that the boundaries are exactly right. Yep. Okay? And the other one relates to transfer of title. So nice. basically um, that one that relates to transfer of title generally falls off, that's a qualification, nice. it generally falls off once the property is transacted again. Mm. So that's just about basically establishing a con- continuous line of of ownership, right? Whereas the other one is around about the boundary. So you can overcome that by getting a survey and actually registering that with the land titles office. Yeah, I've had to
1: do that for a client before where, you know, that was, um, yeah, they just had had that certificate and a bank just needed that and that was fine. It wasn't a big deal.
0: So, yeah, so we come across them often enough not to be, I wouldn't say that they actually impact the value of a property. I I think that that over time they're just all getting upgraded to Torrens and it's part and parcel of buying in an area that's quite old. Mm. So that's sort of not a major issue. Um, Now on to the strata side of things, a strata is like a subset, if you like, of Torren's title, right? Mm. So strata, and we've had many conversations with with strata experts, technically you, you you own the airspace, you own from the paint on your walls in. So therefore, you know, I look at strata as being, well, it's what does someone call it, the fourth layer of government? You know, so you're not buying land; you're buying a, a proportion or a mm. share of the land that the building or the complex sits on. So obviously, there are issues in terms of ongoing value with that because of the land content, but there's also how big that strata is, and you've got all these other inputs into how good that strata is mm. and so therefore your control over that property and the value of that property and the improvement or performance or maintenance or whatever of that property is diminished and I think that's probably a big area in mm. where you know the actual um, the ongoing value potentially could be impacted.
1: Yeah I mean like if you're buying a strata building and the strata is not well maintained it's a huge risk you've got to you know be factoring in when you're buying. it. I mean, banks have no real problems with kind of lending on strata. I mean, unless it's,
0: it's under well, under the size. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, you can have it the the title though they're not really well about yeah, it's, it's all, more the yeah. size of the, the the building and the the property in terms of the actual floor space and mm. you know, it was 35 squares and then it went to 40 and now potentially it's under 50. Right. Um, different you, banks
0: have different Yeah, you know, you start right?
1: banks will still be desperate and will still take on those kind of smaller mm. units etc, but it's more risk for them because they know smaller apartments generally have a smaller market that want them. And um, you know, it might only be singles or it might be investors looking for something cheap and the investor market isn't buying, or the single market's, you know, a bit concerned about the economics, then you know, they can't sell them. So I guess, you know, strata's generally fine. I mean, but I mean the next probably title is probably your company and things like that.
0: Yeah, or just still on strata for a second. So you got community title, which is part of strata when you've got um and if you want it know more about this, go back to the um, episode we interviewed Rena Van Alst. So that's back in the, maybe in the thirties. Check that out. Rena Van Alst, she's a strata manager. And we did go into quite a few different types of strata or the layers of of, um, strata title. But the community title is when a large complex where you tend to have other facilities that are shared between a number of different strata plans. Mm. So, and there's a different Layer of title there in relation to that. So, you know, the larger complexes, you know, not huge fans of, but but there's the exceptions to rule with that too. Really well run and really in demand, larger complexes can mm. be very fabulous places to live. And in fact, people want to upgrade within those complexes. So, mm. so you know, it can be an issue, but I think it comes back down to that that element of who's managing it and how well is it being managed. And if it's a really great place to live, then resale that's that's a cracker. It's great. Mm. And back now onto to uh, company title. So before Strata Title was invented, the way in which they divided up the ownership of a building was to effectively issue shares that gave exclusive use rights over certain space. And mm-hmm. so there are still quite a number of those buildings that have company titles, say in the eastern suburbs. A lot of them around Potts Point, Elizabeth Bay around there. Um, and... that's an interesting beast, the company title. So let's first start about lending. The Banks don't love them, do they?
1: No, but it's not to say they wouldn't do it. I mean, they, you know, they are putting restrictions on LVRs and things like that, but you do need to start taking a bit more extra careful with it and you want to get the contract, you know, checked with a bank, basically. So if you do are going to consider buying a company title, then you know, definitely start to get have open the conversations with a broker because your pre-approval could be through a, a bank and that bank might not go. want to go anywhere near it. But I don't think they're not going to lend on it. I don't think it's because you would see that company title properties would be worth a lot less, yeah. but they're not. It's just that you do need to be a little bit extra careful with the lending.
0: It's interesting. You know, and typically you would need a higher deposit, so they're not going to do it on your 10% deposit or even your yeah. 20 Yeah. Yep. Um, so you often, you don't often see, I guess, maybe first home buyers less so mm-hmm. buying company title, um, often, you know, in the sort of, um, and we have bought company title for clients, but our owner occupier clients, mm-hmm. uh, in the Eastern suburbs. And so, the thing is that some of the most beautiful buildings, the lovely Art Deco buildings mm. or Spanish Mission buildings, are actually company titles. So there's a certain value that goes with that. So certain buildings have their own scarcity and their own um, level of value around around that. So there are other buildings where you think, God, you know, if they all got together and actually upgrade and converted to strata, they all have an increase in value mm. of those properties. So it once again it's a case by case situation. Typically, the typical um, Understanding around company titles that there'd be a discount that you pay to get it because there are less people that can, can or would want to buy. And therefore, when you sell, there's going to be a discount as well. So that's a typical understanding, but it's not uniform. And there are also some buildings, um, uh, is it the Astor in the city, for instance, is a classic um, where they're very restrictive company title, where they interview people before they can even buy into the building, you have to wow. be qualified, you have to be vetted. Um, they will not allow tenants mm. um, at all. So there are very restrictive um, company titles in terms of their rules and so sometimes that preserves value because that's massively exclusive mm. but there's not a huge market for people that, you know, would go into, uh to want to do that. Yeah. But some some of our very famous movie stars, in, you know, Australian movie stars basically um have bought into a building I know that oh. I've got friends that I own into and they had to be interviewed as well. You know, right. they had to qualify, yeah. So nobody is immune in well, these go. sort of man. buildings. Yeah, well, yeah, If they're
1: famous, they should definitely come in. You know, everyone loves a famous <laughs> neighbor. <laughs> Not
0: always they might have big parties. <laughs> uh-huh. But we um we bought a property uh in Elizabeth Bay for a client. In fact, we bought two in that building, um, sort of coincidentally, uh, both for owner-occupiers. And mm. in that bu- that building, they had a restriction. After the, I think it was within the first twelve months, you couldn't, um, you couldn't lease it. So because they did have a couple in there leased out because the owners had gone overseas, and and so it, it was good because it didn't stop people from life changes that mm. would lead them to want to rent their apartments out but mm. it actually preserved the predominantly owner-occupier flavour of the building which mm. was really good. So you know there's there's a lot of those sorts of things to be taken into consideration. So it's not always a bad thing for capital growth but and you won't always get a discount if you're buying company title.
1: Funny you say that because we are going to Melbourne soon and you'll start hearing episodes about that and I think some of these uh, thought processes around creating more owner-occupier-driven strata sort of buildings with restrictions on resale um, are starting to pop up as new models that kind of attracts people and families to live in new apartments. So that would be an interesting episode. So the elephant in the room is 100% for you.
0: The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help all of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions.
1: Well, what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process.
0: Give us a review on iTunes. A five star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us.
1: Shannon's last question here is around building and pest inspectors. We did cover this in Kerry Hunt's episode, but, yeah, the final question on, you know, what questions to ask a building and pest inspector. So, Veronica, what do you, what do you think?
0: <laughs> well, first of all, before you engage them, you want to ask them about their experience. Mm. You know, how long have you been doing this? Were you a builder in the first place? Um, I also like building and pest inspectors that do both. Mm. Like, you know, otherwise you've got to get a building inspector and then you've got to get a pest inspector. Yeah. And, you know, that's a bit annoying. I think you've got to ask them where did they get access to and where couldn't they get access to. You know, not all properties have yep. access into the roof. Not all properties have access into the subfloor and those are two areas that can hide a whole bunch of problems.
1: They love that as a disclaimer though, don't
0: they? Oh, well, yes, of course, because the reports were full of disclaimers.
1: Yeah. I couldn't get <laughs> access to so-and-so so I couldn't, you know, yeah. comment basically.
0: And it's furnished and I couldn't get around it or et cetera, mm. et cetera. So there's, you know, beware of that. So I think the... Uh, one question I love to ask an inspector is, well, would you let your daughter buy that property? Mm. Um, What
1: if they haven't got a daughter?
0: Well, you know, imagine you have a daughter (laughs) and if you did and she had the money (laughs) to Mm. buy a property, would you let her buy? I've had some building inspectors that that they really resist giving a judgment and I'm like, yeah, but I'm asking you, I'm paying you because I want a judgment Mm. and I want advice as to how this property compares with others of a similar age or a similar style of renovation, et cetera, et cetera. And I want you to give me a judgment call. I don't want you to sit on the fence. So, you know, building inspectors that, that do that, I think are a, a bit annoying, really. In fact, I think any professional who's, who's in the advice business yep. and he sits on the fence is annoying. Mm.
1: Yeah. Excuse <laughs> the pun there, but yeah, but I yeah. mean,
0: it's, um, Yes, if the building inspector sits on the fence, we say, why are you sitting on the fence?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I guess, uh, so. I'm trying to buy at the moment. And um, I think what we did is we probably, we're doing the building and pest and we're no longer going ahead with this property that we really liked. But I think we fell in love with the property before we got the building and pest Oh, there's a danger. Now we we stopped it. We pulled out and we're Mm. no longer going ahead with that property. But it was I've just kind of tracking my own emotions and how mm. um how hard it was. Um, because you know, and I think this is the problem is that we um, you know, we've already fallen in love with the property and then we do the building and pest and we're going in there with rose-colored glasses and we don't want to see the big crosses and the big red marks and the big risks because we wanna buy this property. Yeah. We want to believe that it's okay. Yeah. Um and then you know So how did
0: you overcome or what happened? What what came up in the building inspection?
1: Uh is there was a basically a problem with it's on a incline and there's a bit of a problem with the retaining wall that's cracking. Um and so some of the cliffs basically coming down. Oh
0: yeah. Uh <laughs>
1: and you know and fair enough. Like the buyer's agent picked up on it and he's like, well, no, there's definitely a problem here. He's not using me. Notice this, guys. Yeah, it's not in the inner west. So was <laughs> the well, buyer in the inner west, Veronica? Definitely consider. <laughs> or suburbs
0: or not low and all shore. Come on. Uh, yeah, this is a long <laughs> way
1: from those areas. But anyway. Ooh. Um. Yeah, and but anyway, the building of pesters uh picked up on this. And uh You're yeah. looking
0: at buying in the in the northern beaches. In the northern beaches, yes. Oh, what did I tell you about that? Rent up there first. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna be the dumbo in a in a future episode if oh, he goes we'll, and buys. <laughs> we will see. We will see. Okay, so you didn't go ahead with it. So despite the fact you fall in love with it, and yeah. despite the fact you had to self-talk your way through that, was that easy to let go no, of it? No,
1: it wasn't at all. And um, you know I oh, over the, this journey, I think uh, my wife's probably not fallen in love with properties as much as me. I've probably fallen in, fall in love with them more than she does. <laughs> uh, and I think she fell in love with this one a bit more than me. Mm. And so I think it was really hard for her. But, you know, the problem with this is an issue though is that we don't know how big the issue is because, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, the wall could fall over and the problem is that wall's holding up the house. And if that falls over, then oh, you're, up, you're up to a lot of problems. So the yeah. the unknown of the problem, whether it's a big or a small problem, we just don't know. Yep. And so it's really just an X property for mm. us as a decision. Yep. But when there's very little stock on the market, it also yes. makes the pressure to
0: over, tr- overlook.
1: Yeah, mm. and to actually go and buy something. So it's just very interesting. So not only is there a building and pest report getting it done, but you've got to kind of still, you know, use it. You know, there's no point. Um, just just getting it and saying uh, but you've actually got to go and if it's actually sending some big warning signs there like this one was, go yeah. get a, um, a geological kind of, you know, yeah. civil engineer to look at it, do all these tests, figure out what the problem is. You know, to do that, that was a few thousand dollars just to do that test. Well, the and, owner should have done that.
0: You know, if the owner really wants to allay fears.
1: Yes. I mean, they, they <laughs> might want to but... You know that's also potentially you know not something that you know you want to leave up for buy beware I guess you know. Well,
0: that's true. I'm just saying that you know if a, if an owner is trying to sell under those circumstances where the building inspection is going to raise these issues and show the walls cracking, and then well, these these could be the consequences, worst case scenario, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, then you'd really want to get a better grip on actually what the problem was. But that's not what this question's about. So did you meet the building inspector at the end of the inspection and go through the property with I presume it's him?
1: Uh yeah, it's is it him? Um, didn't, but had a really long conversation with him on the phone. Mm. Um and, you know, and ask questions like, um, you know, what were your thoughts like basically, you know, would you buy this property? Mm you know, in roundabout ways. Did he sit in the fence? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, and that was, you know. and Yeah, cool. Uh, but it didn't it didn't just get there at first. You mm. know, I had to kind of warm him up and talk to him more and yep. more and not allow him just to jump off the phone. And then mm. at the end he kind of, you know, did give us what we really wanted to hear. And it wasn't what we wanted to hear actually. We wanted to hear everything was fine. Yeah. But we actually got told things, to things aren't going to be, you know, rosy. You potentially could be up for, you know, sail through it and get. The problem is a lot of the the repairs are only going to get it back to what it is today. So it's kind of, even it's actually, you know, you're not going to see, you're not improving the property, you're yeah. not adding a, a bedroom, we're not adding a new kitchen, we're not, yeah. we're spending 100 grand, maybe 150 grand just to get it back to where it is today. So you so, need to
0: discount whatever you paid for it by that and more for risk.
1: Yeah, but when you're trying to buy, you know, what is a pretty scarce hot property, um other people won't be discounting it and so, so you kind of pretty much waste of time
0: yeah 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 and, and that's that's a good point because obviously the magnitude or how these issues um impact buyers changes according to what the market's doing so you know, you will see buyers gloss over things more in a hot market where they're fearful of missing out Yes, then you will. You'll see them absolutely digging their heels in in a slow market where they feel they've got options and choice. And and I think that's really important for buyers to remember. In a hot market, how would I respond to this if there was lots on the market? Mm. That's, a re- that's a question to ask yourself, not your building inspector. But I think, you know, I think, yes, if you can't get to the inspection right, and I really encourage people to do that, um, I know that's difficult if you're working, um, mm. but it's very important to go through visually and eyeball these things with the inspector, particularly if you do move forward to to purchase it. Um, but, yes, yeah, spending that time on the phone, really going through it, really the report first before you call them is, is really important.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, I guess another one we're looking at, um, you know, as an example is I went, looked at the property and um, started walking around the surrounds of the property and then saw that the neighbour had actually burnt down, the back of the property. What? Um, so, you know, on the front, the front of the property looks amazing, but it was only because I was being a bit nosy. I've kind of climbed the cliff, walked around the back, um, and see the whole back of the house has been burnt down. And so let, if I didn't do that... Um, I wouldn't have known that this property at some point is probably going to get knocked down. It's probably going to have a rebuild, a construction of a year. Um, That could be next year. It could be in a few years' time. It could add value. It might not add value. Um, But I think a lot of buyers wouldn't even know that that house has had a fire recently um, and is going to have a big construction. And they're not factoring that into their price and so I guess it's just, um, you know, that was one of the learnings for me as well, you know, I was just going to check the neighbours out. I was mm. not expecting the back of the property to be half burnt wow. down.
0: yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, one of the things that we do, we always get online and, and have a look at DA activity in the, yep. the surrounding properties. And certainly if the property is obviously derelict or obviously mm. needs work as or <laughs> definitely if it's half burnt down, mm. I'd be wanting to know, well, what's happening? Is it going to change, you know? Um, Because if it's going to sit, if nobody's doing anything, it could sit there like that for another 10 years, you know, you don't really want to be living next to a rat infested hoarder's home or, or, you know, or something that's absolutely vacant and derelict and, or empty and burnt out shells. So these are, these are actually quite important things to check out.
1: Yeah, and I think it's just um because it was a hedge and because it was a, you know, sort was, of hidden. You, you couldn't, you wouldn't see it. And that's the thing, you know, and it was just because I was <laughs> being a bit nosy, I'd seen it. And so you just got to, you know, you just got to be careful sometimes, you know, when you're buying buildings and things like that, what's happening surrounding the building because um, that's what, or you're also buying.
0: Yeah. So one question I like to ask you, you ask the inspector, would you build it? I like to say, would you buy it? I should say, I like to say, well, would you let your daughter buy it? Mm-hmm. You know, because, or would you, if they're a bit younger, would you let your parents buy it? Yeah. Because if you would let something that you care about buy it, then, you know, I think that's a good litmus test. Okay, our third question is from Nathan. Hello there, Veronica and Chris. Firstly, wanted to say I love the podcast. Thank you. Uh, very informative yet simplistic. I hope he. Meant simple,
1: simple in the right way.
0: <laughs> yeah, not simplicity. Okay, <laughs> my partner and I have recently moved from the Big Island to the Huon Valley, Tasmania. Beautiful, and are potential first home buyers, but we're leaning towards investing and renting. We are lucky enough to be renting in an area in which we love, owned by my partner's parents. They are lucky. I know Tassie doesn't get too much of a mention when it comes to property although well, it has a recent years, and when it does on your podcast, you both seem a little wary of it. Uh, okay, especially Hobart. I was just hoping to get some advice on starting an investment portfolio, ideally something cash flow positive.
1: Okay, Nathan. Um, I mean, got a parents' uh, partner's parent's property, so I think the renting, a lot of the problem with rent vesting is it is, you know, down to what you can, you know, your rental situation is the rent part of it. Mm. Um, And can you rent, not now, but can you rent long-term? And do you want to rent long-term? And if you have a family and things like that, are you still happy to rent? You know, problems with schooling and things like that. So in this scenario, though, it sounds like he's got a very good rental solution, potentially forever,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know? And so if you could just rent that property from your partner's parents forever, then you might say, well, yeah, I've... Could actually go and just invest my money elsewhere. So that could be a, a person that might want to consider rent vesting. In saying that, though, you're not going to be getting the capital gains tax exemption, which is one property growing for you tax free. So I'd be thinking personally, can I look to use the six year rule um, and still um, rent that place? But that's going to be difficult because the only way to use the capital gains tax exemption and the six year rule is you have to move into a property that you buy as an investment. For a period. But if you're living in Tasmania, it's going to be hard for you to buy a property that's a great investment potentially, live in it and then move back into the parents parents' property. So um I think that's one of the biggest flaws with, you know, um, this strategy here is you might not get the capital gains tax exemption on one property. Um and, but-
0: and just to explain it, in case um anyone's not familiar with what that is, what that means is that when you own your own principal place of residence and you mm. live in your own home, down the track when you go to sell it, you don't have to pay any tax on the money you made. Yeah. But say you bought an investment, say it cost you $500,000 and say you sold it down the track for a million, then you made $500,000 capital gains and, and, look, you know, there'll be lots of costs and stuff you can take out. But anyway, let's just simply, this is simplistic. Yeah. Um, so you got $500,000 worth of gains. Currently there's a concession that means that you only pay tax on half of that. Mm-hmm. So you pay tax on 250000 which means at your marginal rate, which of course means that a lot of it, if not all of it, is going to be at $0.47 cents in the dollar. Yeah. Um, and so you're going to have to pay tax on that, that yeah. money, amount of money. So paying tax on $250,000, whereas if you bought a home that you lived in for $500,000 and you sold that for a $1 million down the track, you pay no tax whatsoever. So that is what Chris is talking about here.
1: Yeah, and it can add up to a lot of money, especially if it's on bigger, more expensive mm. properties that um and we and it's kind of like Australia's, you know, to me, it's the biggest tax write-off, you know. In that scenario, there, they've made five hundred grand of gains that they haven't paid a single dollar mm. of tax on. And so if you buy a property for a million dollars and you sell it for two million dollars, that's a million dollars of tax-free money that you've just made. And so, you know, I think it's, you're missing a trick. I think if inside your investment portfolio, not one property is at least growing tax-free. Um, but, I mean, I always worry when I hear the word cash flow positive mm. um, because the re- what you really want, your, your priorities are around the wrong way. I, I want to get a property that's got cash flow positive, but it should be I want to get a property that grows over the longer term for yep. me and that should always be number one not the cash flow because the cash flow should be kind of secondary to that. And the reason why I think like that is because whether a property is cash flow positive or cash flow negative, it's tax taxable or tax deductible either way. And then the after-tax impact of that might only be a few thousand dollars. Um and so you're saying, well, I'd rather not be a few thousand dollars out of pocket, but if that means that the property is not growing for you, well, it's great. I've got $2,000 extra in my pocket, but I've got a property that's not growing. So, you've got to get the prop around the other way, can I get a really good capital growth property first?
0: Yeah. And look, I often think that the whole positive cash flow thing, it seems so sensible. It's like, oh, I shouldn't have to pay any money out of my, you know, my monthly mm. you know, cash flow in order to buy this investment. If I can make it pay for itself, then I've done a really good thing. But then what people are thinking is that all properties are equal, effectively, mm. and they're not. And like you just said, unless you're focusing on growth, particularly if you're a first-time buyer age, yeah. you are at that asset accumulation phase of your life. Now, I'm not a financial planner, but, but but that is the period of time where you've got this massive runway ahead of you before you actually retire. You've got decades. That's when compounding works its magic. Mm. That's when, you know, that that capital growth Absolutely it works its magic. The fact you can borrow money and then compound on that works its magic. All these are wonderful opportunities that are ahead of you or that you have right now that you won't have if you buy something that doesn't go up in value. And so mm. it's you've wasted that runway. And so I think you know, it also comes back to: well, something that's valuable should cost something. Mm. You know, if it's not valuable, you know, and it doesn't cost anything, well, it doesn't really matter really. Don't get it, you know, yeah. but it, it, even if it doesn't cost you something in terms of cash flow, like cash flow neutral, cash flow positive, it actually is costing you because it's costing you opportunity.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I mean, you know, I don't think you should ever really buy a property unless it's, it's likely to go up in value. You know, there's other things you can buy that will give you income and give you yield.
0: Well, we've had lots of episodes on that exact topic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and so you really, you know, it always comes back to capital growth. It always comes back to what's going to drive the value of this up because if it's not going to go up in value, it's very hard to put the rent up as well. So it might be cash flow positive because you're getting a very high rent versus the value of the property, but you can't go knock on the door of the tenant and say, I'm going to put your rent up because at some point they would say, well, I'm just going to buy the thing you know I'm already paying a lot of rent and it's cheap so cuz that's why it's cash flow positive mm. I can't you can't just put the rent up but if the value of the property goes up over time your rent will go up most likely as well because the more that a property goes up in value the less people can afford to buy it and then the more people are forced to rent and over time rents rise so if a property is negatively geared it might not be negatively geared forever it, well it, hopefully isn't well hopefully <laughs> and that's because the capital value most likely will go up and then the rents will go up and then maybe in 8 to 10 years time the property becomes neutrally geared and then you are pay down
0: debt in that time too.
1: Exactly. Like, and so <laughs>
0: um
1: get maybe just flip the priorities right if you can get a property that's yielding well and it's got great capital growth by all means go for it. But that doesn't so, happen. But sometimes it doesn't. It generally <laughs> doesn't very, happen. It's very
0: doesn't. It? Yeah. Because it, yeah. Okay, so we're heading towards interest rates of zero potentially or negative even? Mm um, what is that going to do to this rent vesting strategy? Because I think what it might do is take some renters out of the market yep. because it's going to be money's cheap. So borrowing money is going to be a lot cheaper. If they can afford to buy, they'll be buying. I mean, prices could go up though. So that could mean that their hurdle of the deposit's going to be a bit higher, but rents will probably come down. So, you know, I think. Potentially, I think in some yeah. areas
1: maybe, but if you're getting more buyers and, you know, there's only so many properties, um, yeah, and there's, if more people are buying, then, you know, there's only 100 properties, then, you know, you're going to find that there's going to be potentially less rental stock because no one's looking to buy from an investment point of view. They're look, all looking to buy it from a home point yeah. of view. And so I think in some areas you might find that rents will probably go up. I think the interesting point is, is that with interest rates going down, we can get a five-year fixed rate interest-only investment loan um, for under, you know, about 3.5% now. Wow. And so if you're thinking about that kind of positive, negative gear, well, if you can get a yield on a, you know, a good investment property at around 3%, you're talking a very small negatively geared mm. kind of impact here. So the problem with investors though is they can't borrow anywhere near as much as they used to be able to borrow. And so if you are thinking about investing, you've got very little firing power, and so that's why it's so important that you go and get, you know, one or two absolute top quality properties. Don't go and waste that very limited power on lots of different poor properties.
0: And I think what often happens is that people get just enough to get onto the ladder somewhere yes. and they buy a very, very low rung in a very shaky probably termite eaten run, rung yeah. on, that, on that um. Property ladder. So you know, all property is not good property. I think if you're going to buy in Tassie, I certainly would not be buying there as an investor. But you know, if you are going to be putting your roots down there and and staying, and you're com- you know you're committed, you've got family, you've you've got all of that, yeah. and you love it, then buy to live in by all means. Yeah. Um, but still,
1: you- buy a good asset.
0: Oh, absolutely! You want to buy a good asset. I'm not saying yeah. you don't buy a good asset. Um, yeah. What I'm saying though is that I'm very wary about buying an investment in Tassie. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't have the population growth. It doesn't. It just doesn't have all those fundamentals mm. that that the mainland does offer. And it's not even everywhere in the mainland, even. Mm. Um, but if you can't afford a really good asset, then you can invest in other things other than property. As we've had many episodes, you know, we go back to to oh. I can't even think of the numbers, but it's a few in the '80s and the '70s, we've, invest- we've uh, interviewed people in the equities markets. Yeah. Um. So there are alternatives to investing. There are other things that you can you can put your money into that will help you grow wealth.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if you if you do want to rent, some, if you do want to live in an area where potentially it's not a great investment, then by more means, maybe you know just rent, invest your money elsewhere. Um, And then in 10, 15, 20 years' time, you potentially can sell those investments and then buy one quality investment in an area that, you know, you do want to live potentially one day. So, you know, I don't think home ownership is what everyone should aspire to. Sometimes it's best they should just rent and invest money elsewhere. Absolutely. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Now, Veronica, have you got a property Dumbo for us?
0: I've got a doozy. So sometimes I get people contact me and say they just like to have a coffee and this guy was a solicitor and, I don't know, I should have asked him a few more questions before I agreed to have a coffee but I did sat down with this guy and he just opens his mouth and starts telling me this story. Um, I'm not sure he listens to the podcast and if you do, I'm not going to mention your name. Um, So... He quite proudly started telling me that he, he's bought a cash flow positive uh, investment and that <laughs> and, and he said he gets a rental yield of 6%. So this is the story. I've got this great investment. It's a duplex. It's in Brisbane. It's brand new um, and I get 6% yield. And I said, okay, so tell me a bit more. How close to Brisbane is it? Oh, 25Ks out. How many other? Properties like that are being built. Oh, quite a lot. So he's bought this property. He's bought a duplex. It's 25k's out of the Brisbane CBD. He tells me it's got six percent yield. Then it turns out that it's actually not finished. So where does the six percent yield come from? Rent guarantee? No, the agent. Well, the agent said it will get six percent yield. <laughs> like he's oh, just right. been told okay. this, right? Yeah. Um,
1: well, I mean, some of those new duplexes do have rent guarantees as well.
0: Oh, that there you go. But that yeah. for how long? Like you yeah. know. So no, he didn't even have that. This, is, right. actually, this is actually this has actually been just told. Uh, It's 25Ks out from Brisbane and lots and lots of other subdivisions of similar types of property are being built out there. And then what gets me is we're talking about positive cash flow. Of course it's positive cash flow because he's paying cash for it. Ah, yes. Right? Well, if you get paid cash for any property, you're going to get positive cash flow because that's the thing that I guess we we neglect sometimes when we talk about positive cash flow is that if you put up 50% deposit, you're probably going to get positive cash flow. You know, if you're going to borrow 105% on a really good asset, you're not going to get positive cash flow. I mean, it all comes down to how much equity you put into it.
1: It's a really good point because um, if you look at a lot of the positive cash flow spruikers, and I do think that, they are brokers because I don't believe in this strategy at all no. and I do think there's much better strategies for people and a lot of it is pushing people to newer properties mm-hmm. like these duplexes. Um, and I've kind of, you know, investigated it a little bit and asked for their kind of cash flow reports and um, how is it positive cash flow. And, you know, it's very scary the forecasting they do because they use capital growth rates at 7%, oh. 6%. <laughs> so don't ever look at those yep. because... Apparently no. if you buy a $500,000 duplex it's going to be what $2.5 million in 12 years or something stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um but you know the capital growth rates are, are crazy when they should be mm. more like 3 or 4% at if, best. If. Um but yeah so you know they they sell it on the capital growth, they sell it on the depreciation, but then they also sell it on the positive cash flow and they'll put in a 20% deposit but that doesn't that doesn't make it positively cash flow because generally if it's an investment what you you're not using an 80% loan, you need to use a loan at 105%. So, you know, the full purchase price plus costs, yep. that's the loan repayment, not the 80%. Because investors generally have got a home and well, they should be paying off their home. Yeah, you want
0: your debt on your investment, not on your home.
1: Not on your home. Mm. And so if someone says you, it's positively cash flow, or is it positive cash rate if you have a loan at 105% and then most of the time it goes back negative and so <laughs> it's just it's just a marketing spin to get you to think that you're not going to have to put any money in your pocket but so this guy it.
0: however so he's putting his money there the reason though i said why are you doing that right so he fairly recently immigrated out here with his kids oh, i want my kids to have a future i want my kids to have financial security i said so why did you choose to do that oh he got sold a whole yeah. Garbage lie. But the thing was that he'd actually gone for an auction for a home in the North Shore and he'd been obliterated at auction. Yes. And he'd had, from what I could gather, one experience at auction and he, from that with his tail between his legs he just decided that he would go and invest his money in Brisbane <laughs> instead. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, but it gets worse. So he's got no tax advice, none he hasn't structured it in a way that actually gives him any tax benefits whatsoever. Um, he thinks he's doing a thing to look after his kids when they get older, but he's actually done one of the most riskiest things ever. In the mm. end, you know, look, I got, gave him about 10 minutes to tell me this story. There was even more to this, but mm. went on and on and on. What got, I just said, mate. I don't know why I agreed to have a coffee with you. I don't know what your question is. He didn't have a question because he had no more money left to spend on any property anyway. Right. So it's not like what can you do, you know. He didn't seem to think he had a problem that he made a mistake, so it wasn't right. like he was asking for, for advice to get out of it. But I said to him, I can't listen to you anymore. You are, you have made some of the dumbest mistakes. You, and I'm telling this out of kindness, so right. cruel to be kind, because before you settle on this, because he still hadn't settled on it because it wasn't quite finished, before you settle on it, Please go and get advice from a tax accountant. Please do that. Mm. And then potentially you can structure things differently to actually give yourself other advantages in life and make this a better decision. But this just blew my mind. And I'm fairly certain that he took none of my advice. (laughs) So that is the property dumbo.
1: Yeah, I mean, the dumbo is probably not even wanting to listen to good advice, I guess. The other thing there, I mean, it's, it's actually really interesting point how the pain of missing out at auction, the pain of Mm. um, potentially, you know, not getting the job done. And I've seen this, you know, as well where, um, you know, it's just all too hard. And so instead of trying to continue on the, the, it is tough. I think it is tough Mm. to actually go and buy good property and it is time consuming. It is stressful. It is, you know, emotionally draining. Um, It can, it is costly But if you get it done right, you get the rewards. But, you know, a lot of people do get a bit, um, this is all a bit too hard and they just take the easy route um, and they start, you know, going away from the the thing they know they should be doing and just take the easy route and go and buy something like that. So I think it's, um, I've seen that time and time again.
0: It's really sad So look, we hope you've enjoyed this Q&A episode. As I said, we will do another one. So we absolutely welcome your feedback, your comments. Uh, We take it on board too. There's been some constructive um, uh, feedback that's been given over the last year or so, which we have taken on board and we thank you very much for it. And uh, we want to encourage you to continue to share the episodes because we want to help more people make better property decisions. And that's what this podcast is all about. So please Please give us a review on iTunes and once again, share these episodes. Thank you very much. Please join us for our next episode where we interview a builder with a difference or an architect with a difference. We're going into the world of modular buildings or prefabricated homes. If you've got memories of the demountable school buildings at your school, well, I tell you what, these are the complete opposite We have a very interesting discussion with Bill McCorkle. He's the MD of ArchiBlocks, who specialise in sustainable modular homes. So tune in and find out what might be the future for some of the building industry.
1: Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter.
0: Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you.
1: Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you.
0: The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher.
1: Until next week, don't be a dumbo.
0: Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.